Scripture reading for today comes from Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12, and Genesis 12, 1 through 9, and 21, 1 through 3. This is the reading of God's Word. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the places of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in, in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "'To your offspring I will give this land.'" So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev. Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You can be seated. Well, good morning again, and welcome to New Life Fremont. My name is Kevin. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, we are continuing our sermon series this morning called By Faith. And each week, what we are doing is looking at one of the Old Testament saints that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, sometimes referred to as the Hall of Faith. And so far, we have looked at Abel and Enoch, and today we're going to be looking at Abraham and Sarah. Abraham will actually get two sermons during this series. Uh, The next one will be during Advent, Uh, but he gets two sermons during this series because he's one of the most obvious models of faith in the Old Testament, and he is mentioned in Hebrews 11 twice. But the Old Testament describes him like this, Genesis 15, 6 says, and Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The New Testament, Paul in Galatians 3, 7 quotes that Genesis 15, 6 verse and says that it's not the biological descendants of Abraham who are his true offspring, it's those who have faith like Abraham, who are his true offspring, his spiritual descendants. So Abraham is this character of faith 
Old Testament and New Testament both described him as a man of faith. And so that's why there's going to be two sermons about Abraham, one today, one again in Advent. But today, the passage we're going to be looking at uh, is Genesis 12, Genesis 21, uh, and we'll also be considering the faith of his wife, Sarah, in these passages. And as we do so, we'll have three points. The first is security, the second is barrenness, and the third is fulfillment. So let's begin with our first point, security. As I'm sure I've mentioned before, uh, after I graduated from college, I spent some time working in missions overseas in the country of Montenegro, which is in Eastern Europe. And so when I was going out there to begin my year of ministry, uh, a few of my teammates had already gone ahead of our team, and they were looking for apartments for us to live in. And I was flying in a little bit later with a couple other teammates, And, you know, we were going to fly there, we were going to meet them, and then they were going to show us where we would be living. They would show us what apartments they had found for us. And so we made the transatlantic journey. We landed in Podgorica, Montenegro, the capital, and we were greeted by our two teammates who had gone ahead of us. And uh, they called two taxis, and we started to load up all of our luggage into them. And suddenly, one of the taxi drivers stopped us. And he said, there's not enough space for all of you. You need to get one more taxi, which was sort of a problem because only two of the teammates had been there for a week and knew where we were going. If we had to split into three taxis, that meant that one of us who had just arrived would need to be in a taxi alone. And unfortunately, I drew the short straw. And keep in mind, there's a bit of a language barrier. You know, some Montenegrins speak English, but not most. And taxi drivers could be pretty hit and miss. And I, of course, had not learned Montenegrin yet, so I was no help. And so I get into the car, and my teammate tells the taxi driver where to take me. But then he disappears off into his taxi. And I'm just alone in the car with my driver, not knowing where we are going. And uh, he drives into the city center, pulls over to the side of the road, and motions for me to get out. And so I get out of the car, I grab my two suitcases, my backpack, my guitar, and I step onto the sidewalk and look around for the other taxis with my teammates, and I don't see them anywhere. I am totally alone. I don't have a working cell phone yet in that country. I don't speak the language. I have all my valuable possessions with me, and I have no idea where to go or what to do. I got into that taxi, not knowing where I was going, and I got out, not knowing where I was or what I was going to do. Thankfully, about 15 minutes later or so, one of my teammates did find me just walking around the sidewalks of the city, and he eventually guided me to where I would be living in. But I share that story because that's what it feels like sometimes to live by faith. Like you're getting into a taxi and you don't know where you're going. It's uncertain, it's unknown, it's scary. Hebrews 11, verses 8 and 9 from our passage say that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He went out not knowing where he was going. I can't think of a better explanation of what the life of faith is like. It's going out, not knowing where you're going, but going anyway, because God is trustworthy. 
And that's what Abraham did. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house to the land that I'll show you later. That's a big ask. For Abraham, his country, his kindred, his father's house would have been the primary sources of his security. His entire life would have centered around land and his family. And to to go from there would make him totally insecure. Not just emotionally insecure, but practically insecure. He would not have access to any of the securities that he was used to. You know, we don't quite relate to our geography or our family quite like Abraham would have. And so maybe to imagine uh, the security that he would be departing in our modern-day situation, it, it would be kind of like if God said to you, tomorrow morning, when you go to work, I want you to tell your boss that you quit, and I will show you what your next job will be. I mean, I would be like, That does not feel very secure, God. I'm going to need a little bit more information than that. How am I going to pay my rent? What's this job that you're going to show me? Do you think you could at least tell me what it is before I quit? It would actually be pretty nice if I could already have the job offer in writing before quitting. What does Abram Abraham do? Genesis 12, 4 and 5. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. He just went, as the Lord told him. I mean, imagine if you were Abraham's friend. And he was like, yeah, God told me to leave this country. You'd be like, okay, where are you going? And Abraham would say, I'm not sure. God's going to show me. And you would be like, Abraham, that's foolishness. You need a plan before you can go, right? Because we would never do that. We want, to li- we want to have all of our ducks in a row before we ever make a big move like that. We want the next job lined up before we quit our current job. We want to know that we'll be secure before we take that first step in any direction. We want to see before we act. You know, God, I would be willing to walk with you by faith, but... Could you just tell me what's going to happen first? If you show me where I'm going, then I'll totally go. But that's not how faith works, is it? The whole point is that you don't see yet, but you walk forward anyway. You have to leave behind some securities, at least momentarily, to truly walk by faith. That's the whole point. Living by faith is saying that our ultimate security is not in a thing, it's in a person. It's in God. And if it's in God, then you could leave behind the practical securities, the practical sources of securities, and go where he calls you. So when was the last time you took a step in faith? And when was the last time that the only thing you had to depend on was Jesus and his goodness and his trustworthiness? When was the last time you left behind some sense of security to do what God called you to do? What gives you a sense of security going forward that you may need to let go of momentarily to do what God is calling you to do? 
you know, maybe you need to gently correct a brother or sister in Christ who is straying from obedience to God. It would probably be a lot easier to say nothing and ensure that the relationship remains intact, but God calls us sometimes to risk the security of a relationship for the sake of speaking the truth in love for them. I love you too much to see you continue doing what's ultimately harmful for you. You know, by faith, you may have to begin a conversation with someone that you don't know how it's going to end. They may humbly receive what you have to say, but they also may push you away. But are you willing by faith to leave the security of saying nothing to do what God calls you to do? Well, let's talk corporately for a moment. You know, we're in this season as a church that's going to require us to walk by faith. We don't know exactly where we're going. You know, who is the next senior pastor of New Life going to be? What will the church look like down the line? It's going to require us to walk by faith, taking each step forward, not knowing exactly where we're going, but trusting that even if the various steps along the way mean leaving behind the things that make us feel secure, as a church, that God is ultimately with us, that he will be our ultimate security. You know, if we're thinking to ourselves that we're only going to move forward if certain outcomes can be guaranteed, then we're not walking by faith. You know, the reality is that we don't truly need any specific outcome. We need the Lord to be with us. We need to trust him. We need to walk by faith with him. He'll show us what's next. And it'll be what's best because he's more qualified to set the vision and mission of our church than we are. Abraham left behind everything that made him feel secure because he had faith that God was his ultimate security. Do we? Now, as if leaving behind his country and family was not hard enough, there was actually one more obstacle to proceeding by faith. God promised Abraham not only to show him a land, but that his descendants would be a great nation and a blessing to the world. The only problem was that his wife, Sarah, was barren. She couldn't have any children. So it takes us to our second point, barrenness. Before our passage in Genesis 12, back up to Genesis 11:30, it says that Sarah was barren. She had no children, which is heartbreaking. You know, for women and families in Sarah's day and ours to desire children but be prevented from having any has been one of the hardest things that anyone has to deal with. It's tragic. And it's into that context that God tells Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. To your offspring, I will give this land. I mean, what would you think if you were Abraham and Sarah? How would you respond if God told you that? I mean, the purely scientific answer is, barren women don't have descendants. Couples in their 70s are too old to conceive. There's no earthly reason to believe that they will have descendants, that they will be a great nation, that there will be any offspring to receive the promised land. Do you ever feel like that? Right now, what is impossible for you to imagine God doing? Is it freeing you from some sin that continues to ensnare you? Is it that your children will be cared for in the future? Is it 
bringing someone you love to faith? Is it using you to minister and advance his mission? What is it? What seems impossible for you to imagine God doing? Abraham and Sarah heard God say that the impossible was possible with him. And they believed him. They departed hand in hand for the land that he would show them, not knowing where they were going, not knowing how God would bring about what he had promised, just going by faith where God was leading them. You know, it's interesting. God has a special place in his heart for barren women. Have you ever noticed that? There are several stories about barren women in Scripture. Sarah is the first, and yet she eventually gives birth to Isaac. One generation later, Rebekah, Isaac's wife, is barren. And so Isaac prays to the Lord for Rebekah, and the Lord grants his prayer. And Rebekah gives birth to Jacob and Esau. One generation later, again, Jacob's wife, Rachel, is barren. But God remembers Rachel. He listens to her prayers, and she conceives and bears a son, Joseph. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, pretty big names in Genesis, all born to women who should not have been able to conceive. But that's not all. The mother of Samson was barren, but the Lord heard their prayers and gave them a son. Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel, was barren, but the Lord heard her prayer and gave her a son. The Shunammite woman who made room for the prophet Elisha was barren, until the Lord gave her a son. One more in the New Testament In Luke, we read of a couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're both righteous before God. They walk blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they don't have any children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were advanced in years. What did they do? Zechariah prayed, and an angel visited him and said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. John the Baptist born to a barren woman. Don't you see that the Lord is in the business of bringing great things through barrenness, through the faith of the barren? You all know how children are conceived. Imagine the faith to do what's necessary to conceive when every time there's a chance you're going to be disappointed, when there's a chance that your pain is just going to be multiplied. It's just a risk to try, right? And yet all these women took that step of faith. Okay, God, I don't have any reason beyond you and your power to believe that this will work, but I'm taking the necessary step because I trust you. I mean, what a testimony of faith. Do you believe that God can bring new life through barrenness? It's a play on words. Do you believe that God can bring new life through barrenness? Look, we all all know what the situation seems like right now. You know, at our church's size, the main way we see growth is through relational gatherings. And do you know what was a relational gathering killer? COVID. Still kind of living with that disadvantage. We got our legs cut out from underneath us. The bread and butter of our ministry and outreach was suddenly taken away, and it's not back completely. We probably feel a little bit barren. And the cherry on top? We lost Pastor Dave, our planting pastor, our senior pastor. Who is new life without him, right? We probably feel a little barren. You you might be looking forward to the future and thinking, is God going to do anything here? Will he hear our prayers? Will he bring new life through this season of barrenness? 
Look, I'm not going to tell you what God will do or won't do. First of all, I don't know. Second of all, that defeats the purpose of faith. So I'm not going to stand here and say what God will do or won't do. My point is to say what God can do and what God has done. Time and time again in Scripture and in church history, God has picked the least likely places to show forth his kingdom. Because his kingdom doesn't make sense in this world, right? In God's kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. God's kingdom is upside down. God's kingdom is inside out. God's kingdom is forward back. God's kingdom is new life springing forth from the barren places. Do you believe that? God invites those who feel barren to take that step of faith and trust him. Walter Brueggemann, in our reflection quote, puts it so perfectly and succinctly. Departure from securities is the only way out of barrenness. You have to take that step of faith away from the earthly things that make you feel secure and toward the only one who can actually make you secure. That's the only way out of barrenness. Faith. Steps of faith. Going forward, not knowing exactly where you're going or what's going to happen, but knowing who you're going with. It's the only way. Faith is the only way forward toward fulfillment. And that takes us to our final point, fulfillment. Has anyone heard of the company Amazon, I think it's called? It's this tech startup. They will get you whatever you want delivered to your doorstep in two days, sometimes one day, sometimes the same day. I could go on Amazon right now and have coffee filters on my front porch tomorrow. It's a really smart idea. I don't know why I didn't think of that. And uh, the way that Amazon gets you what you order is through their fulfillment centers. When you check out on Amazon, it makes you a promise. You know, these coffee filters will be on your front doorstep tomorrow. That's a promise. But, of course, making a promise and fulfilling a promise are two different things. When you click to place your order on Amazon, they've only made you a promise at that point. But they haven't fulfilled it yet. That's what the fulfillment centers come in to do. They make sure that Amazon makes good on their promise. They get those coffee filters, throw them in a box, slap a label on it, toss it on a truck, and get it to your doorstep by the promised time. They fulfill the promises they made. In our passage, God makes several promises to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. Lots of promises. Some of them are explicitly what God alone will do. Some of them are what God will do but through Abraham. But all of it is ultimately what God is promising and ultimately will be fulfilled by God. But how? How would God fulfill these promises? After all, there were some significant obstacles to overcome. The main ones being that Saren was barren. Sarah was barren. And the Canaanites currently inhabited the land that God was going to give to Abraham's offspring. And so how would God fulfill these promises? Well, with regard to offspring and Sarah's barrenness, as I had already said earlier, God opened up her womb. Genesis 21, 1 through 3 says, The Lord visited Sarah 
as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. The Lord does as he has said. The Lord does as he has promised. Barrenness and old age are nothing to God. If he intends to bring forth life, he brings forth life. When God makes a promise, he fulfills it. And so Abraham and Sarah give birth to Isaac, which means he laughs. You know, when Abraham and Sarah were doubting that God would keep his promise that they would bear a child, God told them again and again that they would, and they laughed at him. Yeah, right, God. Enough is enough. We know this isn't going to happen. You're making us laugh now. And yet, when Abraham and Sarah gave birth to Isaac, they also laughed. But this time, not a laugh of disbelief, a laugh of joy, a laugh of promises fulfilled. As our passage in Hebrews 11 puts it, Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. But there's something interesting about Isaac. You know, there's all sorts of drama and the build-up to his birth. We skipped a lot, but Abraham and Sarah's faith is tested over and over again. They believe strongly sometimes. They, don't, they doubt strongly sometimes. They constantly need to be reassured. They even try to take matters into their own hands at one point with Hagar and Ishmael, which is a disaster. You know, their path towards seeing the promised birth of their son is a roller coaster. And then he's born. And we're all wondering... What's this guy going to be like? After all this trouble, who will Isaac be? And then there's only two chapters about Isaac primarily. That's it. Two chapters. All this buildup, all this drama, and then Isaac gets two chapters. It's almost like God is telling us in Genesis that Isaac isn't the promised son we're primarily waiting for. He's not irrelevant. He's a patriarch. He keeps the line from Eve and from Abraham going. But he's not the son we're primarily waiting for. He's not the one who will smash that serpent's head. Thousands of years later, another woman was told that she would conceive and bear a son, and she could hardly believe it. But it wasn't because she was barren. It was because she was a virgin. But the angel tells her that by the Holy Spirit, she is going to give birth to the Son of God, And Mary's response, faith. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And she goes and tells her relative, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, the good news. And Elizabeth says to her, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary essentially sings a song, that the Magnificat. And the last line of the song is, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And then she gives birth to Jesus, the long-awaited son who will take the sins of his sheep to the cross, die and rise in victory over death, the one who will crush the serpent's head, the savior of the world, the offspring of Abraham through whom all families of the world will be blessed. God's promises fulfilled through his son, Jesus Christ. But there's still one promise that we're waiting on, and it's related to the land. 
You know, God promised Abraham that there would be some land that his offspring would inhabit, the promised land. I love how literal that term is, the promised land, just the land that was promised, the promised land. God promised Abraham that his offspring would inhabit the promised land. Abraham wouldn't, but his offspring would. And so our Genesis 12 passage says that Abraham went all around the land and he made these altars and called upon the name of the Lord. And though, even though Abraham had only lived there as a foreigner, because the Canaanites were still there, Abraham was already dedicating it to the Lord in faith. Hebrews 11.10 says that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And eventually his offspring did inhabit that land. Generations later, Joshua led the Israelites from out of the barren wilderness and into the promised land flowing with milk and honey, defeating the Canaanites, and finally possessing the land that was promised to them. But as you likely know, because of their wickedness, they eventually lost the promised land. They were exiled from the promised land by God, carried off by foreign nations. In a very real sense, all followers of Christ live in this exiled status. You know, we're still in an exile-like state. We aren't quite home in this world. This isn't the promised land yet. We aren't home yet. Because the promised land of Canaan was really just a foreshadowing. It was a sign. It was a glimpse, a foretaste of the true promised land. The fulfillment of the promised land is still in our future. It's heaven. The new heavens, the new earth, the new creation. That's the true promised land. And that's where we're bound. That's where we're headed. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are bound for the promised land? If you're in Christ, he's already prepared the way for you. It's happening. You're going there. The insecurity of this fallen world, the barrenness that we feel sometimes, it's all going to come to an end when Christ fulfills God's promise and leads us into the promised land. Are you looking forward to that? Do you, do you know how to look forward to the promised land? Do you believe you're headed to the promised land? Well, let me just close with a couple overarching ways that we can look forward to the promised land, the true promised land. The first is to live now kind of like you're already there, Bring the values, bring the security, bring the fruitfulness of the future promised land back to our present reality. It's already and not yet here. Let God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven through you. Live as kingdom people now. Live as promised land people now. You're secure. You're fruitful. You're united to Christ. You have everything you need. You know where you're going. And so you don't have to live selfishly anymore. You're taken care of. You don't have to come to church and ask, what can I get out of it? You can come to church and say, what can I give to this church? Don't make a home in this fallen world, but go out into it with Christ's mercy, with Christ's compassion, with Christ's healing, with Christ's gospel message. You know, most of the people outside those doors are not on a pathway toward the promised land, but you are. Will you invite them to join you on that path to the promised land? 
And so that's the first way. Live now like you're in the promised land. Bring the promised land's values to now. Second way, keep the faith. Faith, faith, faith. Faith is always the right response to God's promises. He's never broken a promise, and he never will. What he says he will do, he will do. If he says you're bound for the promised land, then you can take that to the bank. You can live by faith in that, because between now and then, you're going to want to see things more clearly. But you've got to keep going by faith and not by sight. But between now and then, you're going to get nervous. You're going to falter some. You're going to freak out and make rash decisions like Abraham and Hagar, with Hagar. You're going to try to take matters into your own hands. But you've got to keep walking by faith. Return back to faith. When you do falter, come back to God in faith. No faltering step will put you outside of God's reach. He will bring you back. So have faith. Keep the faith. Because God is good. God is able. God is trustworthy. Keep the faith between now and the promised land. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you that you provide our ultimate security, that you can make barren land fruitful. So, Father, we ask that you would strengthen our faith. We so often doubt. We so often falter. We so often are tempted to take matters into our own hands, to do what we think will make us feel secure. But, Father, you are the only source of security and fruitfulness. Let us continue to live by faith in that. We pray this all in the name of your Son, who died for our sins. We ask that you fill us with your Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.